Welcome to the SB Live California podcast. I'm your host, Connor Morissette. This week, Bodie De Silva from San Diego joins us to talk some San Diego section high school baseball. Bodie, it's been a really fun season so far. We're getting closer to the playoffs, so I just want to ask some pretty general questions about your impressions from the San Diego season so far. Does that sound good to you? Yeah, let's do it. All right, awesome. Which San Diego team has the best lineup, would you say, and why? And if there are multiple, maybe there are a few teams jockeying for that best lineup uh, spot. But uh, when I ask that, who comes to mind? Yeah, there's definitely two teams that come to mind, and it happens to be the, the two teams that I have at um, one and two right now. Uh, St. Augustine has a great lineup, a mix of some younger players, uh, a lot of committed players throughout. Uh, Trevor Fox, a guy going to San Diego State, is a really good player. Uh, MJ Sweeney, who just homered the other night at, um, at Petco Park, a junior headed to Kansas. Um, they're definitely the biggest team in the section. Um, I have them ranked at number one right now. And then San Marcos would be the other one to me. Uh, Ryan Rivera has been a great player, actually a, a former uh, St. Augustine player that transferred over uh, to San Marcos. But they've had some guys step up as well this year. Um, Zach Farrell's another committed player going to Army, but Anthony Pacino. Um, and some guys we'll talk about later on as um, go through some of these questions. But San Marcos and, and St. Augustine. And, uh, and I'll throw Granite Hills in there as well. They're number three for me right now. And um, I think their lineup's a little bit uh, worse than those two, but absolutely a team that could win the Open Division. Take me through that home run at Petco Park. Was it a no-doubter? Were, were they really the kids really pumped after hitting it out at the big league stadium? Yeah, on, on MJ's, I have not seen video of it yet. Uh, the night I was there, there were there was a close home run, but uh, St. Augustine hit two. I know Frankie Giacalone hit one as well, and that one I did see video, and he just crushed that one. So um, it's impressive whenever I go down there for the, the high school all-star game and the kids getting them out, but when it's someone trying to get you out and you still hit it out of that, that park, that's really impressive. And um, I know there were a couple of them, another one again yesterday. So really impressive stuff by by those guys. And, and that's something that they'll always uh, take with them because that, that's a huge deal. Which team has the best pitching staff? Yeah, for me, that's got to be Torrey Pines. Um, when I came into this year, I thought there's a lot of teams that have a lot of offense, like the several I just mentioned, uh, but don't have as much pitching. And I think Torrey Pines is kind of the complete opposite. Um, not that they don't have any hitting. It's just a lot of unproven hitting. Uh, last year, they had the three infielders, all Pac-12 signees. Carson Williams ended up uh, being a first-round pick instead of heading to Cal. But replacing those guys has been a big deal. And they've done a really good job, I think, in recent weeks. And the scoring output's gone up. But pitching-wise, when you've got three senior starters that have been super reliable throughout the year, um, uh, just looking at them right now, I mean, Eric Van Valkenburg, he's an Oklahoma signee three and one with an ERA of 0.95. Then Jack Weisenberger uncommitted three and oh with an ERA of 0.97. And then Zach Isaacman two and oh with an ERA of 0.3. So when you can throw those three out there to, to play your series every week, that's a huge deal to just kind of keep your, your opponent's numbers really low, even when your offense may not be picking up. And then from their point of view, they have two of the best relievers in the county on top of it. Uh, Peyton Rogers is a sophomore, um, has not a lot of run this year. And then Chase Police has come in for six appearances as well. He's a junior. So those five 
in their pitching staff. I don't think anyone else in the county can match that. So going on, it'll be interesting to see come playoff time. Is it the pitching that wins because they're winning these low scoring games or um, in Torrey Pine's case, when they head to San Marcos and the ball's flying, are they going to need to kind of match offensively? But um, that pitching staff is really good. And they've, I thought coming in and they've, they've exceeded, exceeded uh, what I thought they'd even be. Do you think with that staff, they'll have a chance to win an open division section championship or is it usually the best bats reign supreme? Yeah, I mean, they'll, they'll definitely need to hit. And I think a couple of weeks ago, I wasn't too sure, but, uh, and they're in, they're in the coastal league this year, which is kind of combined over the past. It's the best Palomar and avocado league teams. And they're now in one kind of six team super league this year. I think they have a real chance. I, I was shocked to see them sweep Rancho Bernardo last week and Rancho Bernardo has been a power for decades now. It's not the same level team, but Sorrento Bernardo is still a very good team, tons of talent, um, and Torrey Pines swept them and a couple one-run games there. And um, Yeah, showing that when you enter a series, and whether it's the Lions tournament next week, these games where you're back-to-back and, and you can throw out a starter that you know is going to maybe post zero or one runs, that just helps you out so much. So I think they're definitely in the mix. They moved up all the way to number four in the section for me this week. Which team has been the biggest surprise in San Diego section high school baseball so far this season? Yeah, for me, it's definitely Santana. Um, They were a really good team last year, made the open division, won their first round road game at at Rancho Bernardo, which was a big shock. But for them to come back and and do what they've been doing so far, I was not expecting um, that really at all. They they lost Tyler Glowacki, who's now a freshman starting at San Diego State, having really good numbers. Uh, there, but they're 11 and two. They've played a great schedule. Uh, in those 13 games, they've only given up 21 total runs. Um, so I think it's more, and they don't have some big offensive name committed this way or wherever, just a bunch of kids hitting over 300. Um, they don't even have a home run on the season. It's just kind of doubles, triples, uh, working away at you. And and obviously the pitching staff has to play a part in that as, as well. And Coda Alto was an all CIF guy as a junior. Uh, he's back again and and posting really good numbers. So uh, we'll see. I mean, I, it, it's not, I'm not going to predict that they're going to fall all, fall off all of a sudden because they've done it last year and they've kind of proven they can be there, but um, they, they've definitely been the surprise and they're, they're flying up the ranking so far. Do you think they'll get into the open again? Yeah, I think the, with the way their schedule is, um, then they're playing in a good league as well, Steel Canyon and, and Helix. Um, not that they're a lock at this point, but they've played enough enough really good teams and beaten enough really good teams. Um, I, I would be surprised to see them left out. Who are some players when you've gone out to cover games that have really impressed you? And it can be anyone from the top recruits to kids under the radar. Yeah, I mean, it, it's tough to not include uh, the two big names that I've mentioned a little bit, but Ryan Rivera at San Marcos and Grant MacArthur. Um, Grant's a third baseman. Ryan has played third until this year, switched over to shortstop now. But just the numbers that they're posting, they're both hitting over 600. I know earlier in the week they were both in the 650s, but uh, Ryan's case, nine home runs, three triples, six doubles. Uh, and then in Grant's case, seven home runs, six doubles. But when you're hitting over 600, 50, 60 plate appearances into the year, um, going up against a really good schedule, really good pitchers, um, and, and it, they're no secret anymore. I mean, they're, Ryan's headed to San Diego State, Grant's headed to Hawaii. Um, Grant won the home run derby last year. It's not like any of these guys are sneaking up on their opponents. 
Um, they, they are just mashing this year and, and it's been fun to see Grant just missed a home run at Petco Park when I was there the other day, but, um, that'll be a fun battle throughout the year. See them going head to head because they definitely have an advantage for the, the home run race right now. And I think one of them, I'd probably be the first guy to get to 15, whoever gets there will probably win the race. So, um, between those two, it's been a fun battle so far. Is there a player who hasn't been recruited much that you expect will start to get more attention in the future because they're playing so well? Yeah, the the first one I'd mention would be Nick Cook. I saw him uh, last Monday at Poway. Uh, he's put up some really good numbers, homered again in that game. Uh, and I'm really surprised to see that he's uncommitted. I know baseball recruiting is a little bit different, so it, it's kind of always tough to figure out um, whether the in-state schools and the, the partial scholarships and all that's given. But um, a kid who's four home runs, four doubles so far, um, I, I expect him to, to find a spot to play here before the end of um, the season. And then Anthony Pacino is one in that San Marcos lineup that um, has really stepped up. I mean, coming into the year, I knew the power that, that Zach Farrell and, and Ryan Rivera have, but um, Pacino's hitting 537, seven doubles, a triple a home run. Um, he's just given them an extra weapon in that lineup, not that they really needed it. And, and I always hear that, they're, that the ball flies out of their ballpark, and it does, but they're hitting the ball wherever they go right now. So um, for that lineup, he's, he's provided that kind of next boost next to Ryan Rivera there and, and just makes it so tough because when you have a guy ahead and behind a guy like Rivera that you can't really pitch around, he's just going to see more pitches. And um, that's a, a really scary offensive team at this point. I know it's not every year a Marcelo Mayer type gets drafted in the top five of the MLB draft like we saw last year, but are there any San Diego kids in the senior class this year, Bodie, who have a chance to get drafted and could forgo their college commitment to play right away in the majors? Yeah, I think there will be a couple, um, and it's always just going to come down to how they weigh their what they have for their scholarship versus the signing bonus. And there's certainly no first-rounders. We had the two last year, and I know Southern Section had some as well, and um, it, I'm not sure it'll be the same this year. Um, I'm also looking at that, not to go too far ahead, but the 2023 class, I think throughout Southern California is going to be loaded and, and so many commits already in the San Diego section. Some guys have looked ahead at there, but, um, yeah, I mean, some, some guys, whether it's Cody Del Vecchio, a, a UCLA signee for Mission Hills, just be curious kind of how teams view him and what round and what signing bonus he may want. I'm sure we'll see a couple. There's always a couple surprises. Um, I know there were some last year in the in the second through 10th round rather than the two first rounders. But um, just for some kids, they just want to get it started right away and kind of dive into professional. And I think that's awesome. So um, I'm sure we'll see some. But at this point, there's no obvious names that are up on the draft boards. Yeah. And talking to Les Lukacs from PBR California, I asked him. The way it was explained to me, you get offered a million dollars at signing, you go, and if you don't, you go to school. He said it's not exactly like that anymore. A lot of kids will now, if they don't get the million, they could still opt to go the professional route, and it's largely still that way, he said, but there are definitely some exceptions, so we'll see what happens because if there aren't first-round picks, that signing bonus goes down, of course. That's just how it works, but a lot of kids really want to go and – and get that career started. I think the way Les explained it to me is that that's going to happen with Jaden Newt at Sierra Canyon. He's an Oregon signee, and he is probably going to get drafted, maybe not in the first round, but in the second round, and he is probably going to go pro even if he doesn't get that million dollars. And then one other interesting thing, it seems like if you're an SEC signee but with the NIL stuff, you can maybe not get a million dollars, but get something close, and so those commitments now are worth a little bit more 
Um, so I think that's something else to, to look at, and that's interesting. But I always thought that the NFL draft, the NBA draft, gets so much coverage, and fans love it. I, I'm hoping that Major League Baseball starts to do a little bit more with the draft. And it seems like they're doing that now, and, and I hope that catches fire because... Yeah, just in the in the 10... I mean, I, I always watch it, but just in the in the 10 or so years that I've been following it closely, it's definitely picked up and, and found more interest. I think social media has a lot to do with that. And, and seeing um, it where, unlike the other drafts, there are a lot of high school kids included. And so maybe you saw them from your hometown or whatever this year. And you're, you're curious about where they're going to go and, and start their career. But it's also the process, unlike the other drafts where you're not going to see them on the, the, the court or field next year, it could be four or five, maybe even six years for some of these high school kids. So um, I think that, that hurts it a little, but it, it, I always love it regardless. Exactly. I think, I think you're exactly right. I was going to make that point and look at Hunter green from Notre yeah. Dame Sherman Oaks. I forget what year it was, but I think this is like either four or five or his sixth year in the, in the pros, and now he's finally on the Reds roster and is going to start for them in their rotation. So it, it yeah, as San Diego one with that with that same one was Mickey Moniak. Uh, he was the first overall pick in 2016, and I think a lot of people in um, Phillies fans had kind of just written his name off and had a great spring training. Is now has gotten himself a starting spot in their outfield and hit four home runs, and so. For some guys, it just takes a little longer. I mean, it, the the high school quality, even in Southern California, where it's so good, is just not going to match these professionals that you're going to see in high 90s fastballs and transitioning from a metal to a wood bat. And there's just so much that goes into it. So some guys just take a little longer, but it uh, looks like it's finally clicked for him. Definitely. All right, let's get back to the San Diego stuff. If you were a head coach, buddy, who needed a starter to win you one game, you could choose any arm in the section. Who would you choose and why? Yeah, I think I'll have to go with Sam Garawal. Um, I saw him a couple weeks ago. He, uh, the left-handed pitcher from Canyon Crest, he signed with Northwestern, um, has had a, a great start to the season, finally had his first slip-up in their last game against Mission Hills. Uh, started the year with 27 straight scoreless innings, uh, some huge strikeout numbers. Uh, as of this point, 31 and two-thirds innings, five runs, but only two run earned, or, or two are earned, five walks, and he struck out 65, so over two an inning. Um, he's a lefty that's going to approach a 90 mile per hour fastball. And so many kids are at, at six, four, when that's coming at you, they're just not used to what you're going to see there. I mean, they're used to in high school, quality arms are going low to mid eighties. Uh, and from a righty. And I think what was so impressive when I saw him against Lacoste Canyon only allowed the one hit over seven innings was how much movements on his fastball. I mean, I, I don't think that's, I mean, it, it definitely makes it play up a little faster, but for these kids that are trying to swing at it, that really had no chance that day. Um, when, when you get a, a 90 mile per hour fastball, that's moving the way his does. And from the left side that they're not used to seeing, it definitely makes it um, hard to hit. So I'm sure he'll bounce back uh, whenever his next outing is, I believe later this week. And um, Canyon Crest is a team I've said when he's on the mound, they can beat just about anyone in the County. And, um, when he hasn't been, they just haven't been that same team. So um, be interested to see playoff time and in the San Diego section with the double elimination, how they choose to go about using him in the rotation. Do you use him in the first round and burn him, or do you try and win without him? And then you get a, a buy from beyond that. So um, Sam Garawal's had a great season, and I expect that to continue. The strategy aspect is certainly interesting because it can really come back to bite you if you yeah. misplay it. We see that every yeah. year. 
Let's flip that question, Bodie. So you're a manager or a coach, I should say, at the high school level. You're down 6-5, bottom of the seventh in a championship <laughs> game. You can pick any bat in the San Diego section to come in and, and hit. You, you got to get a hit or, or something to extend the game, a home run ideally, but whatever it takes to just keep the game alive. Is there a hitter who, who you would select who has risen above everyone else? I'm sure there are a couple names who come to mind, but in that position, who would you choose? Yeah, it's the two I mentioned earlier, Ryan Rivera and Grant MacArthur. I mean, when you have two kids hitting over 600, you just feel like your chances are better. <laughs> um, and especially in their case, I mean, the the walks they've been drawing. But uh, in, in Ryan's case, I've seen so many of his games uh, since he's been at San Marcos now. And yeah, I know left field's a little shorter. It's still a really high fence, but um, it's just a, a smooth, compact swing. He makes so much contact. I think that's the reason why what throughout the year he's struck out four times in, in 57 plate appearances. Um, he can just drive the ball to any part of the park, the three triples, the nine home runs so far. Uh, he had 12 last year and was an All-State uh, guy in our our end of the year um, All-State players there. So I, I would just have to go Ryan Rivera. I've seen so much of him and, and have seen him come through so many times for that team, uh, 36 runs driven in so far in only 13 games. So uh, that would be my my pick there. For as much as you're comfortable predicting, who do you think – as of April 6th, wins the Open Division Championship, and then I know you might have to play around with D1 and, and all that, but right now let's get an Open Division pick from you, and if you're comfortable doing D1, D2, great. If not, I get it, but uh, let's start with yeah. Open. <laughs> who who, uh, who do you think right now has the best shot to win that championship? Yeah, ultimately, when it, when it comes to Open Division, I have to go back to um, San Marcos and St. Augustine. They've played twice already, so that's kind of helped with the head-to-head. -head. Uh, the first time they played, I was there, and it was an 11-11 tie that they finally <laughs> called because of darkness. Uh, and then the second time they played in the, the championship of the Whitaker Classic, and St. Augustine got them. But I think if they were to match up again in the playoffs, it's just who has the pitching left, because they're both going to put runs on the board um, with the different pitching rules and the days off and and the number of pitches you can throw in a week. I'd just be curious who who can they rely on in a game against each other when it's really just going to be who can it, it, I think of like whether it's getting a stop in basketball or causing a three and out in football like it, who can who can get through an inning or two in a row without giving up a run. I just would have to think um, is the favorite there. I'll throw Torrey Pines in just because they bring that other element of pitching, whether or not they can hit enough against either of those teams. Um, we'll see. They're, they're going to have their series against San Marcos here in a couple weeks. So that'll be a fascinating one. Um, going down to the the other levels, I mean, it's tough because there's so many, I mean, there's 20, 20 teams that are eligible for open and it won't be seated till the end of the year. Um, but I look at a team like Poway, if they don't make that top eight, they definitely have the talent. Nick Cook, who I talked about earlier, um, a couple Arizona State commits, Ryan Crapel, he was on the mound for them yesterday. Um, Steel Canyon's a, another team that they've been in and out of the top 10, a little bit inconsistent, but I think if they're in that division one just outside, um, especially getting a top seed there that they could make a run um, as well. Just going down, I mean, there's so many of these teams that have a lot of talent. I think Madison's one. Um, I saw them early on, probably underachieving for what they would think at this point, but the, the top of that lineup has so many guys, three San Diego State commits in a row, a couple juniors there. Um, that, that's a team where if they can string a couple games together and get enough pitching, they're dangerous to beat anyone. 
I forget, and I know I said last question, the last question, but one more. <laughs> last year, did the best team on paper win? You know how in baseball that, that doesn't always happen? Did, what, what happened last year? Just remind me. Yeah, so in the eight-team open division, it was the eight-CD slate yeah. that won. Um, and, and at that opening round game, they went out and they, they beat uh, San Marcos by a run there, came down at the end in the 8-1 game. Um, but for looking at it, it's like anytime you have Marcelo Mayer, who I think got frustrated because he was being pitched around so much, but just that guy in the lineup who was almost always going to get on base – Eastlake has always had quality hitters around. They didn't have the huge names around Marcelo. And then you had a, a top line starter like Ray Sabolsky, who's now at Long Beach State. It's like they lost some league games that they probably shouldn't have. And that's what bumped him down because the league wasn't as, as good as the avocado and Palomar up in North County. But um, yeah, I, I think it's the same case where I would have San Marcos and um, St. Augustine as the favorites, but whoever's the six, seven, eight. They can absolutely win those first round games. A team like Santana, who I mentioned, they did it last year. All those kids have kind of have it in their mind. We won at Ranch Bernardo. No reason we couldn't come into the open playoffs and, and do the same thing again this year. So I think we will see a lot of chaos. There always seems to work out that way. And and I think it's interesting on how managers try and go about their pitching because I've seen so many times they want to save the pitcher for game two. Well, if you lose game one, that, that game two is – a day or two later and your season's on the line all of a sudden. So it's a risky strategy. If, if it, if you win game one, it's a, it's a huge advantage, but um, definitely have seen some risks taken that way and it's not turned out. And, and East Lake went and did the thing last year. And that was, <laughs> that was fun to see. And that's why high school baseball, especially in this neck of the woods is so awesome because you really yeah. don't know who's going to win until that championship day comes. It's not like football, at least up here where it's usually one of those Trinity League teams. And then for yeah. basketball, is it Sierra Canyon or Corona Centennial? You know, at least recent history, it's been, it's been those teams. But uh, Yeah, every team is so deep. There's, um, I wouldn't say as much pitching this year, but there's so many hitters. Um, it feels like just about all the top 25, 30 teams in the county have one or two committed Division One kids this year. Um, so they get hot for a week. You never know on, on who can win. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun to see. Great. Well, Bodie, thank you so much. Excellent primer. I'm sure great people of San Diego will really enjoy this episode. So thank you so much. And I'll be following along what happens the rest of the season. It seems like it's, I don't want to say wide open, but when the eight seed won a year ago, anything can happen. So really excited yeah. to see how, how it all goes down. Thank you so much. Yep. Thank you. All right. That was Bodie Da Silva, SB Live California writer based in San Diego. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll be back next time. See you then.